central banks don't seem to have the best track record when it comes to making economic predictions. Whether it's the Federal Reserve infamously asserting that inflation would be transitory, or the RBA claiming that they wouldn't raise rates until 2024, or the ECB making similar predictions. Central banks seem to have been wrong so many times and by such a wide margin. But why? And is it entirely their fault? Well, let's have a look at a few of the factors that could be causing this inaccuracy. We should first acknowledge that getting an accurate economic forecast might not be as easy as CNBC or Bloomberg or other commentators make it out to be. Whether you're forecasting GDP growth or inflation or anything else, there are a lot of complications. First, you need to work out what factors influence GDP growth or inflation or anything else. You need to work out which factors are relevant and try to weed out the spurious noise that might just add error and inaccuracy to your model. Second, you also need to work out whether these factors are conditional in the state of the world or the state of the economy. And many of these factors might moderate each other. You need to work out what is the nature of the relationship of these factors with the outcome you are interested in. Third, you need to be able to collect data on those factors and collect reliable, meaningful data. If the data is wrong, or if the data is just a rough proxy, then that is going to add inaccuracy into your model. If you want to include consumer sentiment into your GDP growth forecast, how exactly do you measure consumer sentiment? There are myriad proxies out there. Which of these do you use, or do you use some combination thereof? And you also need to work out how you model all of these factors. Do you use a basic regression model? Do you use a gravity model? Do you use some other model? How exactly do you combine all of these factors into a meaningful forecast for what will happen to GDP or inflation going forward? How exactly do you build up your model to come up with your forecast? All of these factors create a lot of complications, which make it a little bit more difficult to come up with a good forecast than sometimes it is made up to be. Those measurement difficulties notwithstanding, several banks can sometimes make life even more difficult for themselves with their messaging. So say for example, you've got a stock or an investment or a project. You'll often have a base case, a bull case, and a bear case each of which will have a probability associated with them. And from this, you can get your probability-weighted expected value of your particular project. It's similar with GDP growth. You'll have various different outcomes, each of which have a probability associated with them. For example, what happens if China fully reopens and global trade goes back to normal relatively quickly versus what happens if China goes back into lockdown? Those are two very different scenarios with very different outcomes. However, if you just communicate the expected value, that might be the midpoint between the two. And your realized value is going to be very different from your expected value that you communicate. Now, central banks often are communicating that expected value when they're communicating numbers. For example, the Reserve Bank of Australia in one of its minutes had communicated that inflation could get to seven and three quarters percent. Notably, there are several different scenarios. Inflation could be higher or could be lower depending upon what the realized state of the world is it won't necessarily exactly be seven and three quarters percent. Similarly, when we're looking at the Federal Reserve dot plot, each of these Federal Reserve governors are communicating their views on what unemployment will get to, or inflation or interest rates. It's a point estimate for each of these individual governors. You're not getting each of the scenarios they're going through, you're just getting that particular point estimate. And therefore, you're not seeing the nuance that is going in behind these predictions. The nature of that messaging makes the central banks look more inaccurate than they might otherwise be. Central banks could potentially fix this by more properly communicating how they are coming up with any of these estimates and making it clear to the public that this is perhaps the probability-weighted expectation that they have rather than necessarily what will ultimately result. 
So far, I've focused on relatively benign reasons for why central banks might get forecasts wrong. However, there can be deeper issues at these central banks. Central banks will often bleed talent to investment banks or hedge funds or academic institutions, all of which will typically pay more than any of these central banks. The central banks are notoriously bad with pay and bad with upside. Therefore, if you're super hardworking, if you're going to put in the long hours, if you're super competent, you would prefer to be somewhere else than a central bank. Now, while there will be some people who are still very passionate about being central bankers, they might be the minority that are left at these central banks. And as a result, they might be relatively under-resourced. They won't necessarily have a team of similarly passionate people. They might have a team of people who simply aren't that passionate and are cruising. This means that overall, their forecasts might not be that great, because many of the people who are really good at this will have left but elsewhere where there's more upside and or more personal recognition. This leads me on to incentives. At central banks, there's typically not much of a bonus, there's relatively little career progression, and there isn't a thriving, vibrant job market for central bankers. By contrast, at investment banks, there are bonuses. At fund managers, if you get better forecasts, you get more money and earn more returns, and therefore you get a performance fee. As an academic, you might get more consulting, or promotions, or more name recognition and be stronger in the job market and therefore get paid more. By contrast, with central bankers, there's no such upside. This means there's no incentive to go out and innovate. There's no incentive to work massive hours. There's no incentive to work overtime or work weekends. There's no incentive to really go above and beyond, which you're not going to get compensated for it. You might not even get promoted for it. It isn't necessarily just the upside you would expect in other areas. And this ultimately results in worse outcomes. It should be no surprise. Central banks are within the finance field. They should know about the role of incentive compensation. They should know that if you tie someone's utility, i.e. their money, to working hard and producing better outcomes, they will go out and work harder for you. When there is no upside, people aren't going to exert that more effort. This has been known forever. It's been known forever in the CEO compensation literature. CEOs are going to do a better job for shareholders in general terms when they've got more equity or option compensation. However, it seems to escape the notice of governments and central banks, it seems, because they aren't properly incentivizing their people to go out and do a better job for them. We then have the issue of the central bank's objective function. That is, was it the central bank, and in particular the governors of those central banks, gained the most from, and how does this influence their messaging and decision-making? For example, in a related area, the Federal Reserve has more to lose by letting inflation get out of control than they do by causing a recession. This is because they'll be blamed for inflation, but they won't really be blamed for the recession, or at least not blamed as much. This then feeds through into the interest rate decisions. That is, they keep rates higher for longer, even if it tanks the economy, knowing full well they won't be blamed for that recession, rather that will likely be ascribed to political decision makers. Now we can see some similarities in central bank messaging. This might bleed into a conservative bias in some of the messaging. For example, central banks might overestimate or overplay inflation forecasts, knowing that if they overshoot their inflation forecast, or were pleasantly surprised, they're not really going to be blamed that much. But if they undershoot their inflation forecast, but then it comes in higher than expectations, they are going to be smashed. This might have influenced the RBA's messaging in its minutes, where they forecast that inflation get to 7 and 3 quarters percent. This therefore builds in a conservative bias in their messaging. Furthermore, central banks might also take a big bath approach to their messaging that is bringing a lot of really negative news up front so that people are going to be more positively surprised in the future. Phrased differently, central banks might have an incentive 
to be slightly inaccurate in some of their communications because of what they ultimately lose the most from or gain the most from. And this then builds in some inaccuracies into the public statements that central banks make. We should probably also acknowledge there might be some salience bias in our interpretation of central banks' errors. That is, we particularly focus on the things that get a lot of media attention, the things that look particularly important to us, and we ignore the things that appear to be less prominent. Every time the central bank gets it right, we don't really notice that. But every time they get it wrong, we do notice that because the media tells us ad nausea. And this salience bias might cause us to overestimate how bad central banks really are. That said, central banks have been truly terribly wrong, so we can't give them too much slack. That is, the transitory story was wrong at the time, and everyone was saying it. The RBA's claim they wouldn't raise rates was wrong at the time, and everyone was saying it. Similarly with the ECB. So while the salience bias is causing us to focus on these errors, many of these errors are truly awful, and the central banks were warned and potentially should have known better, even at the time, given the information they had on hand. Now, if you think I've missed anything, or if you think there are other reasons for why central banks get their forecasts wrong, let me know that in the comments below. And otherwise, thanks a lot for tuning in, and hopefully I see you next time as well.